1: Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. It's a big one this week, folks. We've got Alyssa Mastromonaco, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, Tien Tran, Just Women's Sports founder Haley Rosen, and U.S. Women's National Soccer Team member Kelly O'Hara asking the following questions. How do you gracefully handle being right all the time? Why are women's sports an important step toward total world domination? And what's going on with the biggest jam scandal in decades? all this and more right now. This episode is so huge that I'm going to talk as little as possible at the top. We've got school reopening debate to talk about. We've got insights into what it's like to live in a professional sports league bubble. And we've got Tien almost losing her shit. So let's get started by chatting with America's soulmate and my pal, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff under President Barack Obama, Alyssa Mastromonaco. Hi, Alyssa. Hi, Erin. So I have a question for you, and it's not as stupid as the normal questions.
0: Okay, well, I love to start this, start this off with a question.
1: Yeah, it keeps the brain active. Nimble. It Nimble. N- nimbility. Nimbility. Um, that's not, uh, not a word. Um, okay, so the Los Angeles Times ran an article this week about the Star-Spangled Banner and how it sucks. And they're not the first yes. people to point out the fact that the Star-Spangled Banner sucks. It is an unsingable song about explosions. Kaboom. Um, And so, you know, we're at a time right now where we're kind of reexamining a lot of national symbols and the historic weight they carry with them. The Los Angeles Times suggested perhaps changing the Star-Spangled Banner. Now, I don't anticipate that happening soon, but let's say that you got put in charge of replacing the Star-Spangled Banner. What would you replace it with?
0: Like for real? Like if I was for real in charge?
1: Like for real. Okay. You're the queen of America.
0: I don't get me <laughs> excited. Um, I think that I would do This Land is Your Land. and Oh, that's good. It's good, right? And you want to know why? Because it's very interesting. I feel like I may give you a bit of a history lesson. Ooh. This Land is Your Land was written by Woody Guthrie in the 1940s in response to Irving Berlin's God Bless America because he fucking hated it so much. And every time he listened to Kate Smith sing it, it was like nails on a chalkboard, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> and so anyway, he wrote This Land is Your Land and it is a wonderful song. And I think that it actually works. Yeah, it is. It is pretty good. I remember when I was
1: like a kid, I th- one of my earliest memories So we had this like hippie, like children's songwriter come to my uh-huh. preschool and he's saying, This land is your land, and he added a verse to it about like tearing down a no trespassing sign and ripping it up. I think he was <laughs> I think that was my He was first.
0: indoctrinating
1: you. Yeah. That was like my first experience with like a full on socialist. I was like, wow, this guy doesn't even care. What would um, you pick? Do you have a song? I have a serious one and the joke my joke nominee is much stronger than my serious one. My, along <laughs> the same lines, I think America the Beautiful eliminates a lot of the problems of the Star Spangled Banner. It's easier oh. to sing. It's very pretty and I think um we can all agree despite all of our political differences that this country is
0: beautiful. There's a lot of natural yes. beauty here and oh. I'm singing it in my head now. I actually do know the words better than I know the Star Spangled Banner. It's yeah, and I like I think I can know, sing the whole thing right now. You probably could. And uh,
1: I think you know, Purple Mountain's Majesty, it's a little bit overwritten, but you know, it's a
0: national anthem. It can be a little That's perfect. I love it. Our two songs together. Uh, speak to the fact that we're maybe a little hippie at heart. And
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Nonviolent. But my,
0: exactly. My joke,
1: my joke nominee just really doubles down on the Star-Spangled Banner's flaws and, and? screams them. It is, uh, you know, the band, The Misfits? Yeah, of course. It's Where Eagles Dare by The Misfits. I just think <laughs> it'd be a hilarious national anthem. <laughs> that's,
0: that's, that's good.
1: But yeah. Bo- they were
0: both equally strong. Both of your choices were equally strong.
1: But like they go in opposite directions. Like where Eagles Dare is our national anthem would be like an ironic t-shirt we got to wear. Like yeah. we're
0: we're assholes. <laughs> 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 Wait, do you have a do you have a, a goofy one? Oh, my goofy one. My goofy one yeah, I guess it was pretty goofy is a uh, touch of gray by the Grateful Dead because if we were going to sing a song about America Every silver, every silver lining having a touch of gray is way more truthful than anything else we talk about. That's true, and it is a fun song to sing in a group. It is a, it's right, and people would be like, ah, I mean, it's I it could have been hell in a bucket if I was going to go with the Grateful <laughs> Dead, but I went with Touch of Gray.
1: Okay, okay, I respect that. Or we could do. Um Bye Bye Miss American Pie by Don McLean, but all the verses. So whenever we won an award at like a gold medal in international competition, everyone would just have to stay on the podium for fucking 10 minutes as we got
0: 25 (laughs) minutes. Just (laughs) bye bye. It's so good. (laughs) And it just continues. By the end, you're
1: like, how are there more verses? Aren't baby boomers over (laughs) themselves?
0: Wait, it's like that song. And when my niece was very little, uh, my sister and I were trying to get her to stop crying. And we actually started singing Bye Bye Miss American Pie. And we knew <laughs> all the words, which blew our brains apart because it's second only to we didn't start the fire in terms of, <laughs> I think, level of difficulty.
1: Oh my God. Yeah. We didn't start the fire would be a tough one, but it would also be effective. Um <laughs> Speaking of starting the fire, I want to talk about some of the the ways that America is burning um right now. Um, there's been a lot of talk in the last couple weeks about reopening schools. And mm. it has, um like every issue in during the covid pandemic, The Trump administration has made it so political that now it's an impossible problem to solve, that it is impossible for anybody to come at the problem without it being a political issue, even though it shouldn't be a political issue. It's a public health issue. But in watching Donald Trump make it a political issue, there's a few things that stuck out to me, and it it feels like just kind of a cover song of his you know, playing the hits. So Mm -hmm. education, education in America is dominated by women. The people who work in education Mm -hmm. are something like 80% women. Um, And so, uh, you know, the Trump administration's insistence that schools be open and there's no plan beyond that, just open them. There's no plan to make sure that the women and men who work in schools, but the mostly female workforce are protected. There's no plan to make sure that, that kids are protected because we really don't know the extent to which this impacts kids. We know some preliminary encouraging things, but we don't really know the full extent of it and we're just kind of planning on throwing all the kids and all the the workers from schools into this experiment and hope it all works out. When literally no experiments we've done with COVID so far have worked out in our favor at all. And oh. to me it it just seems like a it seems like another manifestation of like the entitlement that people in the Trump administration feel to women's labor, that we can just do whatever we want to women, not pay them any more, not value what they're doing, and expect them to put themselves in increasing amounts of danger for zero reward. And I find myself getting very angry about it, um, especially because I have a lot of teachers in my family. Mm -hmm. Uh, Alyssa, I wonder what, how you feel about this whole thing, or if I'm just sitting here becoming like a stewed tomato on my own.
0: No, girl, we're stewing together. We are stewing together and I'm a canner, so I know what stewing looks like. Um, (laughs) That was so bad. Um, No, it's like, here's the thing. What we find out, everything about COVID has been one step forward, two steps back, for the most part. And we know this. Like, this is, like, pretending this is not true of this disease is absurd. And at this point, malevolent. And so we have okay, 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 there is, there's There's going to be a vaccine, going to be a vaccine. Okay, well, not anytime soon, not in enough time for these kids to go to school. They still don't know the dosage. They still don't know when it's going to be available. So we don't know about that. Then mm-hmm. when you think about all the different things that we have learned about how you can and can't catch COVID, and it, and the thing that we have learned is that in the months that have followed since we first learned of the outbreak, we have learned it's, easier to transmit than we thought it was. It is, it, it, it can be, uh, I mean, months ago we were like, oh, young people don't get it. Yeah, they fucking do. And they're in the hospital. So thank you very much. And so in something in, in like, like, like Maya Angelou says, when someone shows you who they are, believe them, COVID is showing us who it is and yeah. and the governments continue to not believe it. And the thing that's so Pathetic and destructive about what this government, our government is doing, our government that needs a new national anthem, is that we see what's happened in other countries. You know, they saw, there is documentation about what happened in Israel when they were, towards the end of May, had 10 cases. They opened up the schools against the guidelines of some of the medical health professionals there. And now they're spiking again. They have over you know three thousand cases right now, and so we know that schools contributed to that because forty-seven percent of the people who were tested got it from a school. Okay, so we know this is a hotbed of incubation at the schools. So why are we pretending that this is somehow going to be different here? It's like how Florida pretended that their that COVID was going to be different in Florida than it was in New York. Well, guess what, motherfuckers? Your ICUs are full. So I guess I just don't, it, it makes me very upset because this is stupidity. It's not mm-hmm. political because there's facts. And I know that Donald Trump is like super scared of all the facts, but the facts are the facts. And so what we're saying is what he is saying, not we, what he is saying is teachers and children, fuck you.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like it's a, it's a really stupid political play like from the Ivanka and Jared school of political strategizing, because I think that, you know, it would be unfair for us to talk about this and omit the fact that parents have been responsible for ensuring that their kids engage Mm -hmm. with their education plans that the teachers have come up with. And, you know, in a lot of cases, the person that childcare responsibilities fall on is mom. So for working moms, this has been a real fucking nightmare because they're expected to do their jobs remotely also, Um, make sure their kids are taking in their distance learning and also somehow sleep and take care of themselves. And I feel like the Trump administration thinks the political play here is that parents want their kids to be out of the house so that they can go back to work so badly that they don't really care about what happens to people that are working in the schools. Um, Right. Which to me seems very bloodless and stupid. I mean, I also think that it's because Um, The Trump administration and Republicans want to be able to stop paying out um, Mm -hmm. any form of government assistance for people who who are unemployed or underemployed right now. So they want to force people to go back to work so that they can start the economy again. It all seems very stupid and short-sighted, but I think that this, I feel like it's sort of laid bare some like inequalities in the way that um, households are run it's really mm-hmm. just kind of like put gender disparity in the division of childcare labor like on steroids and um to watch a person who has i don't think Donald Trump has ever changed a diaper in his life to watch a man who has clearly never changed a diaper try to like navigate the complicated world of like who takes care of kids during a pandemic is i cannot see this right. leading leading anywhere good um but it it is it has been sort of funny to see him kind of saber rattling that the federal government can take funding away from schools because yeah. they can't do that.
0: No. But there's no reason to trust him or anything that's ever worked before. So like when he threatens it, it is appropriate to be scared and nervous.
1: Yeah. Like what's he going to do? Is right. he going to like send the national guard to schools? I don't I don't know. Don't give him any ideas. <laughs> I mean, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, but he's the type of hammer where everything looks like a plate glass window that he gets to shatter. And there's a part of me that thinks that, do you think that he like wants people to die? I mean, there's a part of me that's at this point is like, what do you
0: think is going to happen? Like people are going to get sick. I've thought about this a lot. And I think that whatever his like mental condition in his brain is, he doesn't believe, like, like he, he truly, which is why he's a terrible president, truly believes what he wants to believe. And so I think that he's like, well, yeah, 136,000 people or 138 by now have died, but some of them would have died anyway. Like, you know, I mean, I think he has really just convinced himself that this isn't that fucking bad. I really do. And so he sees now that he has hinged. I mean, it's so fucking deranged. He has hinged. He knows that in his mind, crazy mind, that he needs the economy to be good in order for him to get reelected. And he knows that the economy is not going to be back in full force until schools are open and people can go back to work. Um... He has sort of eliminated all the other pieces of the puzzle. He is a he. There's like a hundred piece puzzle, and he's brought it down to like three pieces. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's like I don't think that he thinks about people dying. You know, I'm never going to say someone does or doesn't care. I'm saying it doesn't cross his mind in the calculus of how do I get reelected, which is the only thing he thinks about every day.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's uh. I don't know. It, it feels like you're right. I don't think that he's put all the pieces together. And you know, I, I also was thinking about the the school reopening thing. Like Los Angeles, San Diego, mm-hmm. Arlington, Virginia, um, New York. A lot of big school districts are experimenting or talking yep. about either going fully virtual or partly virtual. Um, I feel like here's the thing: like if we open up schools before, where with, with no additional funding, no safety precautions. Nothing. Um, what's going to happen is there's going to be some sort of an outbreak, and then we're going to have to close schools down again, Everything and we'll down. be we'll be worse off than we started. Plus, there will be people who have died. So it's like we can do it the right way and start out virtual, or we can do it the wrong way, and then people can die before we become virtual anyway. Right. It, right. It. It's just. Ugh. I really hope that they abandon this as like a election issue because. I just think of, you know, family members, friends. We have a lot of listeners who are teachers, who are educators, Mm -hmm. who work in schools. Um, I just, it breaks my heart to see anybody who is in a job that requires them to really selflessly love what they do, be asked to give their life for the job when that wasn't part of the deal initially, you know, like, this is really fucking unfair, um, to teachers, to people who work in cafeterias, to janitors, to everybody who works in mm-hmm. schools. And it, it. look, if they're this essential to the economy working, we have to pay them commensurately. We have to pay them exactly so so much more. We have to take so much better care of them. I'm like, I'm a steamed tomato and I'm going to continue to be angry about this. And, you know, I, a few listeners have reached out that are teachers. And if you're a teacher mm-hmm. and you're experiencing fuckery, reach out, tell us. Yeah, tell us.
0: Or if schools are taking, if your schools are taking precautions, tell us what kind of precautions. Like, I'm curious what schools are doing. I saw things like there, some schools are experimenting with like misting machines and they're spraying disinfectant. I mean, that sounds like a good idea, but is it toxic? You know, I'm just curious what (laughs) schools are doing that we haven't heard about.
1: Yeah. Also, you know, human sized hamster balls for all the kids. So they're all like bumper cars. But, in like bubbles, first of all, that'd be really cute. Put a so bunch of kindergarteners, put a bunch of kindergartners in balls, and let them bump into each other. Second of all, it feels like it'd be a little safer.
0: well, you know, yes, and also one of the things that I read too is that the little kids, kindergartners and first and second graders in uh in Israel, I think it was had a lower instance because they were like very disciplined about keeping their six feet. And it's the older kids that are dickheads. So like, I don't know, work <laughs> around that. Do something with that. I don't know. But like, I feel like we got a lot of information at our fingertips and he's, and Donald Trump is like, I just, I just want a hamburger. That's well
1: done. <laughs> I just, how about we do nothing? Will that work? Will nothing work? Okay. Um Let's transition. I think we have a toast this week. Alyssa, you had a
0: toast nominee. We'd love I to hear. sure do. I would like to toast Miss Montana, current Miss Montana 2019, Mo Shea, because the Miss Montana pageant is going forward this year. I believe it is the only pageant in Montana that's going forward. And she has said, thanks, but no thanks. She will not participate. She will not attend because she does not believe that their COVID guidance is satisfactory and she does not want to participate in the spreading or catch COVID. So she is not participating in Miss Montana. So good for you, Moshe. Good for you, Moshe. That's some leadership. I, that Which is, is what, leadership. Miss Montana is showing more leadership than elected
1: officials. Then Donald Trump. Let's switch them. Let's let Moshe. Montana work for the CDC. She's actually, I was reading about her. She's actually going to medical school. Mm-hmm. And um, so I she's like, as a as a future healthcare worker, I can't, I can't like allow this to happen. I can't participate in this. I think that's really cool.
0: Yeah, Moshe.
1: Toast to to Miss Montana. (laughs) Well, you know what? I am really excited about what we're about to do. We have somebody that we can call up this week who I think you and I are both a big fan of. We're uh, big agreeers (laughs) with around here. She's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, the National Health Policy Chair for Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign, And the U.S. Representative for Washington's 7th District and her new book, Use the Power You Have, A Brown Woman's Guide to Politics and Political Change, just came out. It is Representative Pramila Jayapal.
0: I love calling people. Let's
1: call people. Let's call somebody. Okay. (whistles) Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you, Erin. Great to be with you. So you're the first... Indian American woman to serve in the U.S. House of Representatives, your your district's first female member of Congress, first Asian American to represent the state of Washington at the federal level. I know that firsts carry pressure with them. Mm -hmm. Do you feel the pressure of being so many firsts? And how do you handle that?
2: Every day. (laughs) I feel it every day. Um, And, you know, it's an honor and it's also a responsibility, right? And so my job is to make sure I'm not the last. And I think that is that is a big part of my philosophy of being here is it's not just about me being here, it's how do people see their own futures and how do things change when somebody sees a, a South Asian American or a woman um, or a person of color or an immigrant um, in office? Does their future change in terms of how they think about possibilities? So I see a lot, you know, I see a lot of people who get hope from our being here and um, run for office themselves. I recruit and mentor a lot of, particularly women of color, but women more broadly. Um, And, you know, how do I handle it? I mean, I just, uh, it's been a while since I've had to do this and be the only voice in the room often. And so I try to pick my battles. I practice deep breathing. (laughs) I surround myself with a very small group of, you know, people that I love and trust who will back me up, but will also tell me when something needs to change or you know if I'm... And then I really try to stay connected to the grassroots. I mean, I feel like there are too many people in elected office who um, just forget where they came from and forget the voices on the ground that they were originally elected to represent. And so I do a lot of work to stay deeply connected to real people and real stories.
0: You cite Stacey Abrams as someone who told you to run at the time. Your book feels like you are taking that conversation and paying it forward. Who were you picturing when you wrote the book and who do you want most to read it?
2: Yeah, that's such a good question, Alyssa. And you know, when you've written a book, because you've written a couple (laughs) now, um, that you sometimes get, you know, panicked, like, who is going to read this book? Um, and so I guess what I wanted to do in the book is I wanted to write it for a lot of um, Women and particularly folks of color who have asked me the same questions over and over again How did you do it? How did you deal with this? How did you deal with that? And so I wanted it to be personal enough that people would look at it and I would actually answer a lot of those questions And at the same time, I also wanted it to be substantive. I wanted it to be a book about real policy choices that are before us as a country and real issues that are before us as a country. And so I tried to do both of those things. I tried to weave those in. And the last three chapters are called moral visions, and they're much more policy focused around specific issues. I wish I could have done more of those. I had one all lined up to go on environmental justice, and my publisher was like, representative, we need to get the book. And so uh, (laughs) so I couldn't quite do it. But it originally started as a book that was supposed to be all about immigration actually when I got the book mm. contract in 2013 and then in 2014 I ran for Congress and I said can I get another year to finish this and then <laughs> in 20, 2015 I ran for or 2014 I ran for the state senate 2015 I ran for Congress um, can I get another year and finally uh, and then Donald Trump was elected and finally it was like I need to do this book and I think I know what I want to write now so hopefully there are a lot of people who care about how to move political change, who care about justice. It's unapologetically progressive. So it is a book for progressives um, in that sense. But I actually think perhaps even if you don't share all the same ideologies, it will be helpful.
1: Hmm. Um, so speaking of progressive policies, you were a champion of Medicare for all before it was cool. Um, and, and, I, <laughs> and I kind of hesitate to, to characterize it as cool now, as now, now that we're in the middle of a national health crisis, it feels essential. Um, you're an activist turned politician and you were promoting a lot of progressive issues before they were cool. So how do you deal with having people call you a chicken little and knowing that you will be proven right by history and seeing history unfold and prove you right?
2: Yeah. I talk about this in the book and say that I think the definition of a progressive is just being first to the uh, best and most just idea. Um and I do think that that's true and you have to be willing to put up with people who tell you over and over again that you're, you know, naive or that you're wrong or that you're too ambitious um you know that you need to be pragmatic um but we've never gotten big things done in this country or in this world by thinking small never there've always been people who are pushing the boundaries of what is seen as possible and I think that you have to be willing to you know develop somewhat of a, a, a thick skin. Um, and then you know when you're right, uh, I gotta admit it's hard to not say I told you so, I told you so. but um, you know maybe you can do a little bit of that, but you also then have to use that to try to call people in and say, okay, you know, nobody today is talking about the incredible choice that employer-sponsored healthcare provides. Nobody six months ago that wasn't true and even Democrats as you know in our own party um, were saying oh we got to preserve this well no we see exactly what happens when you lose your job you lose your health care and that's why 27 million people in the last four months have lost health care so um, yeah it's not great sometimes to be called chicken little but it is good to be right um, and, <laughs> and I also think that um, you know it's it is part of the Process of politics, and I talk about that. If if politics is the art of the possible, then it's our job as organizers and activists to move the boundaries of what is seen as possible, because possible mm-hmm. is not static. Um, mm-hmm. If you look at how far the country has come on the movement for Black Lives, just in a couple of months, you see that possible is completely defined as as how people want to define it, and so. Um, I think that's what we just have to hold on to. And I, you know, I, I guess I, I take pleasure in being able to um, think analytically about how we get things done and how we tell stories and how we organize to do that.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, on this show, we've joked around about Susan Collins having a frowning chamber that whenever she's (laughs) disappointed, she goes there and she frowns really hard. Maybe you could consider having like a gloating closet <laughs> I where, like, it. you're right, and you're like, it. "I was right," and you go in and you just feel how right you were, yes. and then without. Can I just people come on your like,
2: show every week, maybe, and do a little gloating <laughs> about all the things we were right about?
1: <laughs> and now for the gloat corner.
0: <laughs> that may have to be a new segment. I like the it. gloat um, corner. I like it. Honestly, come back anytime. <laughs> Speaking of the possible. Uh, a joint effort by Joe Biden and Senator Sanders to unify Democrats around Biden's candidacy produced a 110-page policy wish list released last week. You were tapped to shape the recommendations for health care. How do you reconcile your support for Medicare for All with Biden's uh, health care agenda? Does the unity among Democrats on these issues give you hope for the general election?
2: Yeah. So, you know, what I've said to people over and over again um, is that no progress, not on healthcare, not on immigration, not on jobs, not on climate, no progress is possible with Donald Trump in the White House, period. And um, and so. Uh, Joe Biden is the candidate we have. He's obviously not the candidate I was supporting originally. I was a big Bernie Sanders person. Um, but when Senator Sanders asked me to co-chair the healthcare task force with Vivek Murthy um, for the Biden side, I absolutely felt it was important to do because Joe Biden is um, a president that we can push. We have seen already how far he's moved. He moved on uh, police reform. He's moved on healthcare. uh, And I can talk more about our recommendations there. He's moved on climate. And so this is the work we have to do. We have to get him elected because we have to get the worst, most xenophobic, most racist, most constitutionally destroying president out of the White House. And then um, we also have to continue to push Joe Biden to to be the candidate that the country urgently needs. And that is not a cautious candidate. Uh, By the time Joe Biden takes office, we may have over 200 250,000 deaths in America just due to COVID. Um, we will probably have an even higher unemployment rate than what we're seeing now, um, with you know tens of millions of people with no money in their pockets. Because remember, even before COVID hit, we had 60 percent of Americans with only 400 bucks and not even 400 bucks in their bank account for an emergency. So, Joe Biden is not only going to have to take on uh, rolling back everything horrible that Trump did, um, not only is he going to have to take on the devastation of COVID, of economic devastation, and of the urgency of uh, addressing anti-blackness and white supremacy, he's also going to have to take on the symptoms that existed before all of this that allowed for Trump to get elected, and that is the worst economic inequality in the history of this country, racial inequality, which we're you know seeing brought to bear, healthcare injustice, all of that. And so, um, you know, I I think of this as okay, this is our charge. We got to get him elected, and we've got to keep pushing him. And so that's what we tried to do on the task force. Um, healthcare is a tough issue because unlike some of the other issues that the task forces were created around, like climate change, um, Joe Biden had a stake in the sand for the Affordable Care Act. I mean, that is his legacy accomplishment with Barack Obama, and you know, maybe only third to Obama, Pelosi, and Biden um, in terms of their, their stake in the sand for the ACA. And so uh, we understood that it was going to be very difficult to turn him into Bernie Sanders um, or <laughs> fall on health care. But we were able to get substantial movement. And I hope that people read those recommendations to really understand, you know, aggressive action on prescription drug pricing better than what we did in Congress on H.R. 3. Um, so that we can truly say that no American will pay more for their prescription drugs than anyone in any other country. You know, dramatic expansion of the public option, not our first choice as a method, but still getting more people onto government funded, assured, comprehensive healthcare, a platinum level plan, automatic enrollment, untethering of employment from healthcare, massive um, movements, including the creation of 600,000 new home care jobs at $15 an hour with benefits and elimination of the 800,000 people that are on waiting lists for long-term supports and services. So, you know, a s- substantial movement. And I think that's what we have to do. We got to get them elected and then we got to keep pushing them.
3: <laughs>
2: so on that note,
1: and, and this is a question about your both your activism and your time in Congress. So you're a progressive, so you're pushing things forward, like we discussed. Um, what's the difference between somebody you view as a potential ally with underlying ideological differences and somebody you view as just a adversary and lost cause.
2: Um, you know, I used to think that you couldn't write anybody off. I have a story in there about Kirk Pearson, a Republican in the state Senate who ended up being the only Republican to vote with us around, um, ending payday lending. And, um, you know, it's not not somebody I ever would have thought that would have been with us. And so I used to feel that way. But I do have to say being in Congress for four years with um, all these Trump Republicans who have just ceded all of their own responsibility and accountability has been tough. Um, but we haven't given up. I mean, we do a lot of things with people across the aisle recognizing that there are certain people with whom we will never agree and I'm not gonna waste my time on them. Um, Within the Democratic caucus, you know, we've done a lot, I've done a lot um, across the breadth and spectrum of the caucus, um, including with a lot of the swing district Democrats. I mean, my Paycheck Recovery Act is not only bipartisan and bicameral in that there's a Senate companion bill called the Paycheck Security Act. Why? Because they really wanted a jobs bill. They wanted a bill that Democrats could say, we want to keep people in their jobs, not push them onto unemployment. And of course, we want to expand unemployment. If people don't have a job, we need to do that as well. Um, so I really try to find places where we can find agreement. And I, I am not somebody who needs somebody to agree with me on every single issue nor am I somebody who I joke and say that sometimes progressives, we want people to agree not only on the end result, but we want people to agree with us on steps one to 10 of why they got there. And <laughs> that's not really me, I learned that during immigration reform that um, you know for me to build unlikely allies uh, with, with agricultural growers and farmers on immigration, they may not see undocumented immigration as a human rights issue the way I do. But they do want a workforce that is permanent and stable and, and, you know, is not going to go away every year. And so they got to the same place. I don't need them to agree with me on why.
1: Right. Yeah, we call that taking the W. When you get a W, (laughs) (laughs) take it. Representative Jayapal, thank you so much thank for coming you. by. This was really fun. And it's it's great to hear from you. And we're excited to see what else you do in Congress. Thank you. And so good luck on
2: your book tour. Yeah. <laughs> Zoom <laughs> book tour. Yes. Well, thank you both so much. And don't forget about the gloat closet. I'm I'm ready to do that anytime you want. I've got nothing
1: but time. I'm about to install one in my house.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. All right. Take care. Bye.
1: All right, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're losing Alyssa, but we're gaining Tien and two very special guests. And we are back from that break. We've lost Alyssa. She has to run and run into Aaron. And we've gained Tan Tran.
3: Hello. I'm here.
1: It's so good to see you. You have an enormous smile on your face.
3: I'm freaking out right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very excited. uh,
1: I am super excited too. So I just wanted to regale our audience with with an anecdote. About a little over a year ago. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe a year and a month ago, the, um, Women's World Cup was going on. What a beautiful, innocent time. What
3: a beautiful time.
1: Yes. And, um, Tien was the, I would say the ringleader of all the Hysteria crew. I mean, I
3: don't want to brag, but yeah, I kind of was. She
1: was extremely the ringleader about like getting people excited about women's soccer for months in advance of the (laughs) Women's World Cup. And I remember... Um, you and I, you invited me to come with some of your friends to a bar and we watched the U.S. play one of their games and it was so fun and it It was so exciting. And ever since then, we've been sweating getting a member of the U.S. Women's National Team on the show.
3: Oh yeah. I think I even like might've texted you after they had won to be like, hey, so like, when is someone going to come hang out with us? (laughs) Um, and obviously,
1: a lot of the athletes are busy, and a lot of them have become like bona fide household names, big time stars. and it's so we've finally figured out a time that works for us and for one of the members of the u s women's national team. and she's here joined by a partner in a really cool new venture about women's sports, which Tien, you're like the perfect person to talk to about this.
3: I mean, I'm just very excited. I didn't want to... I have my jersey next to me because I didn't want to put it on. I didn't want to be a total nerd. <laughs> but it's right here. <laughs> you have it next... Wait, what? Is it numbered? Who, whose number is it? It's, it's, the, it's the one from 2015. So it's oh, okay. the 2015 uh, World Cup jersey. But I was like, I'm not going to put it on. I'm not going to be like that <laughs> of a nerd. But I like... I guess I'll just put it next to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you
1: know what, one thing that's really exciting about, um, well, both of the guests are very exciting. One of the guests would probably be better known to our listeners, um, because she's played on three women's world cup I think so. Teams, yeah. 2011, 2015 and 2019. So yeah. that's pretty exciting. Um, and uh, she and this the other person you're about to hear are starting a new website for Just Women's Sports. Have you signed up yet?
3: I just followed. I'm actually kind of upset that I haven't even heard of Just Women's Sports well,
1: until now we're hear all, I know we're
3: I can't wait. We're going to hear about it, we're gonna hear and all then about I'm going to tell it. everyone else about it.
1: Um, so I'm super excited to bring these two guests on, um, and I know Tien, you are too. So like, let's let's
4: dial them up. Hi, guys. Hey. Hi. Hi. How are you guys? I'm great. Good. How are you? Good. Thank you for having us.
1: Oh, we're so excited, guys. We're so
4: excited. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm super excited to introduce our two guests today. They are both involved in Just Women's Sports, which is a website that is about women's sports, right? Just... Okay, the name is pretty... <laughs> self-explanatory. First up, she was a member of the U.S. Women's National Team, and she plays for the Utah Utah Royals FC. Um, She's been a member of the U.S. Women's National Team three times, 2011, 2015, and 2019, and she played undergrad at Stanford University. It is Kelly O'Hara. Welcome to Hysteria.
5: Thanks for having me. What's up, guys?
1: (laughs) So happy to have you. Um, And next, she is the founder of Just Women's Sports. She is uh, also a former Stanford University soccer player. It's Haley Rosen. Hey guys, Woo-hoo! thanks for having me. <laughs> thank you guys both for being here. This is I like
3: know. thank you so much.
1: In like the era of Zoom, seeing an unfamiliar face in a Zoom call almost feels like hugging somebody because <laughs> we're all so like <laughs> starved for being around new people. So let's get started with Just Women's Sports, um, Haley. Uh, This is your baby, your brainchild, Yes, and you work in collaboration with Kelly and a few other female athletes, including Hillary Knight and Carrie Walsh Jennings. And can you tell us a little about the mission and how this idea came about? Yeah, so
4: it's actually pretty simple. Uh, Four percent of sports coverage is dedicated to women's sports, and our whole goal is to change that. Um, you know, a little background on me and kind of my journey into just women's sports. I played soccer at Stanford and then played professionally for a little bit, nothing like Kelly, um, but was in the NWSL and played abroad. And there was just so much positive momentum in the space. You know, we were selling out stadiums, viewership was up, attendance was up. There's just so much positivity. Um, ended up getting hurt, having to retire sooner than I would have liked, which I think is the case for a lot of athletes. Um, went back to the Bay Area and, you know, was working. And that was the first time I really felt that 4% number. There was just absolutely no way to follow the world, follow my friends, follow the teams I had been on. So we launched Just Women's Sports. And our whole goal is to change that because there's just, you know, people love sports and almost 50% of athletes are women and women's sports. So why not have more sports? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, so Kelly, you two knew each other from when you played together
5: at Stanford, correct? So we actually, we didn't play together. I'm a bit, I'm a bit older, (laughs) (laughs) um, but we obviously have the Stanford connection. Um, so one of my teammates from Utah put me in touch with Haley, um, and the original conversation was just talk to her. She might want to bring you on as, as an advisor, um, for this new platform, and it took us a while to get connected. It was last fall and I, I'm i terrible at emails sometimes. Um, she me. No, 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 no. <laughs> but basically we got in touch, had a long conversation. Um, and during that conversation is kind of when I was picking her brain, trying to just understand the vision and what she wanted Just Women Sports to be. And um, the podcast came up and I love podcasts. Um, so I, I just mentioned, I was like, oh, I've always thought about like how cool it would be to, to host a podcast. She was like, really? And I was like, yeah. Um, and she was like, well, why don't you host ours? (laughs) And so I was like, wait, 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 back up, pump the brakes. Um, but so that was kind of how it came to be. And then a couple months, um, of back and forth, figuring it out, planning, and, um, we're going to launch very soon. So it's been a long time in the making, but, um, I'm really excited and I'm glad that we, she could, she convinced me to do it.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) let me just tell you as a podcast host, my life is extremely glamorous. Um, (laughs) I'm wearing flip flops that are two different flip flops right now, um, <laughs> because because I'm you thinking,
5: because you can't find the right flip flops, or just because just because you're like, no, this is what I
4: want to do.
1: It's not a fashion statement. I just couldn't <laughs> okay. find the other one, and I just wanted to put something on my
3: feet. And this coffee is from yesterday, so get ready for some
1: glamour. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, um, as a
4: as a
3: podcast <laughs> as a podcast co host, I'm also wearing flip flops and not pants. I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> I am wearing so, pants. I am wearing pants. Just like not in, the, in outside the world pants. pants. Oh, not,
5: you're, you're wearing, you're wearing underpants or like, no, no, no. I'm pants? wearing just like biker shorts. Oh, okay. In, inside, oh. Pants. Those inside those you guys pants. Have, inside but see pants? your inside pants are actually my outside world pants. <laughs> 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 Typically is how it works.
1: Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about, let's, let's get bigger picture here and talk a little bit about in general, the importance of women's sports and all of our individual relationships to it. Because, you know, we have Kelly who's played at the very top level. And then you have somebody like me who like got benched my senior year of high school basketball. Cause I kept sassing the coach. Um,
3: <laughs> you kept what? the comb?
1: You kept what? sassing. Ugh. I was just like, unco- I didn't think he was smart enough to be my coach and I was rude. To it's him. probably true. <laughs> anyway. Wow. <laughs> Tien, why don't you walk us through the importance of women's sports to you and how your journey in women's sports connects with like visible women's sports, like the U.S. Women's National
3: Team and the WNBA. I mean, I started playing soccer when I was like four years old and played up and through to high school. Um, wasn't good enough to play college. Uh, <laughs> did o- did ODP, but then just like kind of fell off a little bit, but have been obsessed with the U.S. women's national team since like, I think we're all around the same age that like that 99 team was yeah, such sure. an important, like, I feel like an important moment in women's sports to see a group of women performing at the top of their game to a crowd of like sold out stadiums. To me, I was just so excited to see that. And I think it just allows young girls and women to see the potential and the, you know, the the progress that can be made when you just can see yourself or see women that are like you playing these sports. Um, which is why I like, was obsessed with the, your team this year. I'm trying <laughs> not to be a huge nerd right now. Um, it's okay, you can be a nerd. <laughs> I was, well, I was telling Aaron earlier, I was like, I'm not going to put my jersey on because that would be like too much. You should have, come on. But it's right here. Um, (laughs) I'll put it on for the picture. But just to be able to see, you know, I, I think the patriarchy has taught us to kind of pit ourselves, pit women against each other. And so to be a part of club teams and about team sports and to be able to work together towards a common goal and then develop these friendships and these trusts. Like, I think it's just so important as part of just being a better, more thoughtful human being in meeting more people, playing against folks, like working together as a team. And specifically with the U S women's national team, just seeing the diverse representation, um, you know, I don't want to get like too, too emotional, but like as a queer woman, I loved seeing everyone that was queer on the team being themselves, but also just like being badass players and having that just be the norm. So to me, that was just Mm -hmm. amazing and beautiful.
5: Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah. Um, I think we all had a moment of watching women's sports when we were young that that really made us feel like excited, even if we had already started playing. Haley, what was your moment of connecting with women's sports in a way that made you feel like, fuck yeah? Yeah. I mean, maybe (laughs) frick yeah, if you were little, because I hope you weren't saying fuck when you were like eight, but
4: no, um I think I'm similar. Like the 99ers had a huge influence in my life, but I think like a moment that really stands out to me was when the LA Soul was playing at what was a Home Depot Center in Southern California. I remember as the first time, cause we used to go to MLS games is the first time. Like I remember being with my family and I was young at the time and seeing Marta play and seeing all these like women just ball out and they look like me and they had ponytails like me and they move like me. And I was like, I, like, it sounds so lame, but I can remember being like, having tears in my eyes being like, I can do this. I can see this. Like this could be me. Um, and I think that's really powerful
1: do you think that there's been an advancement from when you were a kid? Do you think that more people are paying attention to women's sports and there's more of an appetite for it now than there was even back then?
4: Yeah, I think it's been a really slow progression. I mean, I think about when I started playing club soccer, there weren't women's jerseys. We wore men's jerseys, you know, and that was even true my freshman year of college. We had men's jerseys. So like there's been a ton of progress from so many different sort of angles. But I think really like in the last Maybe year we've seen something shift. You know, when we were initially talking about just women's sports, like with investors or other people, the feedback was no one will watch women's sports. You're crazy if you think it'll change. Women's sports will never be mainstream. And I was like, How do you not see this? Like there's so much happening here. And that seems to have shifted. And I think that's really, really positive. And I feel like we're like we're just at the tip. Like we are just barely scraping the surface of the potential women's sports.
1: Kelly, how about you? What was your first time seeing like women play sports and being super charged up seeing it?
4: Mine was, um,
5: the 96 Olympics and it wasn't actually the soccer team. It was the gymnastics team. Um, my, my, yeah, (laughs) my mom was a gymnast. Um, at that point, I was I was eight, I guess. And I'd done gymnastics as like a little kid, um, but it was very much so, I think that's right when I really started playing soccer, like club soccer, but it wasn't, I wasn't obsessed with soccer back then. I was just like more so obsessed with competing and winning. And the 96 Olympics was the first time that I saw, I can remember seeing female athletes on TV. And on top of that, mm-hmm. they were representing their country and everyone was in, it was in Atlanta too. Like I didn't even actually go. I grew up in Atlanta. I didn't go to any events. My parents didn't <laughs> take me to any of them. Can you believe that? Um, but we just watched on TV. So like seeing female athletes on TV for the first time, I remember thinking, and when I was watching the gymnastics being like, I'm going to do that. And it wasn't even, I'm going to do that in gymnastics. It was just like, I'm going to compete for my country and be on TV and win a gold medal and just like be badass. I just remember mm-hmm. thinking that and it's so funny to think back on to now see what I've been able to do because it just I don't know, I, like it it didn't even cross my mind as to anything else would happen like I was like I want to do that, I'm going to do that. And if I feel like if I would have never seen that, I I think I would have had a much different path in in sports.
3: Did your parents put you both into sports or were you were you the ones that were like mom and dad i this is the thing that i want to do because for me my parents like i played you know soccer with the boys at recess and came home and was like please dad like this is mom and dad please sign me up for soccer and they were totally supportive the whole way but it wasn't something that
5: was like part of our family dna it was it was definitely part of our family dna both my parents very athletic um so i have a good i have good genes thankfully um but I just remember they put me in like Muppet soccer at four years old. Um, and, and neither one of them had even played soccer before, but I guess it was just the thing to do in our town. Um, but I played so many different sports growing up. And like I said, I wasn't even that into soccer until I was probably into my teenage years. So I did everything. Cause I just wanted to compete. Like, I remember there was a local triathlon and I was at the, like, the pool with friends and I was six and I went up to this mom and I was like, I'm going to be in the triathlon this summer. And then I, my mom like turned around and was like, you're not old enough to compete in the triathlon. And I was like, you know, pouted and um, marched (laughs) off. But, but I just, I just wanted to, to compete as a, even as a Mm -hmm. little kid hmm. Haley,
1: did you play other sports besides soccer growing up, too? So I also was a dancer, like
4: ballet, lyrical. That's Allie. <laughs> Kelly. Allie's face. <laughs> that's, that's my <laughs> alter ego. Um, But it was funny because <laughs> my dad was like played football in college. He was like big rugby guy after that, like super into it. And my mom was like, love the dance. So she, for years, like even when I was in college, used to call like our uniforms. She's like, do you have your costume, sweetie? Are you in the red costume this week? Or the
2: one? Like she's never in gone college.
4: To program. Like in college. Oh. She's like, I really love the red Stanford costume. Oh, so bless her. <laughs> our mom.
1: It's a uniform. Like. So, oh, but it was that's a nice so bounce. cute. That's yeah. so I love, like, supportive parents who are, like, good-intentioned, but sometimes, like, will say the wrong thing really funny. Um, I have memories from 1992. Oh, okay, um, there you go. I, I remember watching, like, the Russian gymnasts in 1992 and being so, like, I think Svedlana Korkina was the name of one of the gymnasts, and she was so cool. Okay, name drop. Um, I also... Re- <laughs> Thank you. Um, I also... Um, I remember watching uh, the women's basketball teams in the 90s also. Like, I, a couple, maybe f- almost a month ago now, my mom sent me a box of clothes from our house. And um, in the box was a Cheryl Swoop's jersey oh, yeah. from the 1996. <laughs> That's play
5: so out. dope. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you need to rock that.
1: I'll go get yeah. it and bring it back and show you guys. It's an adult medium. So I was like, I was like eight at the time or nine at the time. There's like, no way that it fit me. I must've been swimming in it, but I remember wearing it. It fits me now. It fits me currently, but it was, you talk about visibility, seeing women just like kick ass was so important for me. And it wasn't just from playing sports. Um, it was, it was like in like being a person, Mm -hmm. it made a huge difference to me. So I'll throw this question to all of you. How have your experiences in sports affected your life off the field in a way that isn't directly related to sports, but has a tie into what you've learned playing sports?
5: Yeah, that's a really good question. I feel like sports, the lessons you learn in sports are so applicable to just life. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's hard to, to say, oh, being successful. It's just, I've, I've learned these lessons and that's allowed me to be successful in sports. It's, I've learned these lessons and how to handle myself and how to, um, you know, overcome obstacles, handle adversity. And that creates the person that you are on the field, but then that's also, you know, who you are on the field is also who you are in life. And for me, I feel like everything that I've gone through in sports have allowed me to be a better person and handle life better off the field.
3: hmm
1: that's a really interesting point because I'm not sure that everybody would agree that who you are on the field is who you are in life. Well, like, have you ever played? Have you ever played somebody who's like a real jerk and then the super <laughs> sweet that No, I, I am. That's, that's, true. On the field. <laughs> that's true.
5: Like people think I'm crazy um, on the field, which maybe I am, but but I don't mean it in the sense of like. For instance, I feel like I, like I said, as a kid, wanted to compete. I've always been a very competitive person, but. I've learned that like winning off the field in terms of like in an argument or in a conversation or just like in general isn't necessarily like you don't, I don't need to win at everything. There's some Mm. grace and humility and like vulnerability that is necessary to be a good person off the field. But I feel like sports have allowed me to understand that because I can go out and I can compete and I can be super aggressive, but then I can step off the field and try to be like a very loving human
3: hmm Yeah.
1: Sure. Haley, what What have you <laughs> taken from the field? Um,
4: this is like a really big question for me personally, because it's my whole life. You know what I mean? Like I had, um, like my dream was to be like where Kelly was at. I wanted to be on the US Women's National Team and everything. And my journey didn't go that way. And, but still everything that I learned and who I was. And that whole experience has brought me to where I am today. And I think like, you know, there's just no denying, like we, like the research is very clear, right? Like girls that play and stay in sports have higher confidence, higher levels of self-esteem are more likely to go to college, stay in college. Like the research is super clear. Like sports are good for people, especially girls. Like that's super black and white. And like, I just feel like that's so clear. Like you know when you're on the field and you're competing like you're confident you learn to be physically fit and strong you learn to not take shit and like even when it that stops like that doesn't stop right like you don't just all of a sudden stop being that person who's like going to fight for what they want or stand up to stuff you know like it just sports are empowering you know that's our whole like mission like not to, <laughs> I, I told you this was a big question for me right like that's our whole mission like sports are culture and sports are empowering and like we want more for women, right? Like we want gender equity. We want more women in the C-suite. We want more women engineers, more women running for president. Like we want more for women. And like, for me, like my personal belief is, I think if we can do that in sports, like we can do that for women more broadly. And like, that's like really our big, big mission with just women sports. And I think we Mm -hmm. do that by just treating sports like sports and covering these badass female athletes where they are and just making space for them. But really that is the bigger mission for us.
1: Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I think what you say about like seeing women being badass, and we're all talking about like Olympic athletes that we saw when we were kids, probably playing sports that weren't normally televised or normally covered in places. And I think it's super cool that you guys are elevating women's sports that maybe people would only see during the Olympics. So it's like available all the time. Like, yeah. I can't imagine what it would be. I mean, I guess maybe as I got older, there was more like gymnastics and ice skating and stuff on TV. And not to put those sports down at all, but it would have been cool if there would have been more, you know, besides those two. Tian, I'm curious what you've taken from sports, especially now that you, you work in an industry that isn't sports at all, like you're a comedy writer. How does having played soccer influence that?
3: I mean, I think it's, it's so similar, right? The things that we're asking for cut across all industries, that we just want more women in positions of power and more equity. And I think it goes the same for comedy. It's like women are constantly asked questions that are similar to sports of like, you know, is women's sport, like is women's, is women's comedy that funny? Like think questions like that. And, um, (laughs) how do you respond to that? Like, what do you do when someone asks you that? You know, I, uh, I, I've kind of just, I always ask, like, do you ask men that question? Like that's like, do you ask men that question? You wouldn't ask any, any man who is a comedian, that type of question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, my favorite side note um, someone sent me a DM recently telling oh, no. a, a dude <laughs> <we> telling <laughs> telling me a better punchline for one of my jokes. And I was just like, the audacity of this fucking guy. Sounds <laughs> about right.
4: Um, but well, was it a good punchline? No, it wasn't. <laughs> I had already crafted the
3: perfect punchline. Um oh, man. to build off of what you said though, Aaron, like I don't know if any of you have this experience, but when I'm in group settings, I can kind of pick out the woman that is like from, I can be like, are you, did you do team sports growing up? Like I know that personality type because it is someone who is like ready to collaborate, like willing to, uh, you know, work together as a team. And also something that I learned so much from sports is that you know, when you're in like senior on the varsity high school team, there's like a vibe that you need to be like assholes to the freshmen or like hazy to them or like, but it's really so much about lifting each other up. And once you make it to a certain place, it's so important to kind of reach back and bring that person up as well, which is why I think it's so great that you have Just Women's Sports, because I really feel like as a platform, that's what you're doing. You're kind of reaching back to the young girls and athletes that are Kind of working to aspire to the same place as you both are. Um, so in the comedy world, it's kind of the same thing, you know. Like I hope to get to a point where I can use my tiny little platform to help other folks who young women, women of color, to also be in this field. And I think that we all kind of have that same vibe. And I learned that from sports. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's
1: uh, let's chat a little bit more about the current state of women's sports, because Haley, you mentioned that it seemed like the time is right for there to be a lot more coverage and that the appetite is there. Um, who are some of the most exciting athletes that are women that are playing right now that aren't on the soccer team?
4: Yeah. Well, a lot of them are on our podcast, actually, not to, you know, subtle plug, but um, <laughs> no, please like
3: I, very but intense. it's true. <laughs>
4: it's so true. <laughs> yeah. No, but like kind of what you were saying before, like I give Kelly like so much credit because I think the U.S. Women's National Team has become mainstream, right? Like you see them in the major outlets. But I think what's really cool is I think Kelly's sort of lending her platform to athletes across sports, which I think is really, really powerful. And so Kelly, maybe do you want to talk about some of the people we've been talking to?
5: Yeah, I mean, that is kind of why I wanted to be part of it or do the podcast. One, because I love sitting down and having a conversation and hearing people's stories like i love hearing how people became who they are and how did how did you accomplish these things um but i i've told haley every time we end a podcast or an episode i'm like oh my god that was so awesome it was so cool to like hear <laughs> their journey and this is i'm going on a tangent but like and then on top of it being part of just women sports getting their newsletter i'm like i i feel like i'm so much more clued into the women's sports scene and landscape and what's going on. And I'm, I'm in it. And like, so to say that I didn't have access to all that information before, because it's not on there. I can't turn on ESPN and they're not going to tell me everything that's going on in female sports. And like, I love hearing about it. And it's made me even more of a fan of all of these different athletes and different sports. Um, for instance, I'm like, I need to get to a WNBA game big time once, once we're allowed to go, um, Uh and just like, for instance, we, we did, um, an episode with Hillary Knight hockey player and I'm like, I need, we, I haven't been able to go to a hockey game. I want to get out to a hockey game. So, um, those just being involved in it, I'm like, ah, I've, I've just, Mm -hmm. I've loved it and I'm Mm -hmm. in the space. So I I feel like fans who are already, you know, gung ho on all these different people are going to love it even more. Um, but who have we done? We've done Hillary Knight. Should we name them all? Do we want to name
4: them all? Chloe Kim, who was so yeah, dope. Chloe Kim. Yeah,
5: that was sweet. <gasps> oh,
4: she's so uh, cool. She's so cool. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. I've never seen Kelly get more excited though at the end. She's like, Oh Kelly, you like to snowboard? Like you should come with me. And Kelly and was, was like, yes. like, really?" <laughs> yes.
5: Yeah. So Chloe will come to a game and then we'll go snowboarding afterwards. But um <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. But we've done we've done what a handful so far. We have two more yeah. this week. But I don't want to see all right there later, today. yeah, I'm so excited for <laughs> so that pumped one about that one, um, yeah,
1: but you'll have to tune you know, in
4: for the rest, <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean, we've all got nothing but time. It's pandemic <laughs> times, guys. um I do want to kind of pivot to talk about that a little bit because, um, I make fun of my fiance all the time. he's a dude, and he's like a dude, like he listens to Steelers podcasts. And there is literally nothing to talk about. It's just like a bunch of men coming together and being like, imagine if the Steelers were playing, what would that be? Well, this is what I imagine. Well, this is what I imagine. How has the pandemic and the fact that there aren't new games being played really impacted the way that you're approaching just women's sports? And has it, has it really set anything back or um, have you just been able to roll with it?
4: So for us personally, because there is that lack of sports coverage, we've actually used this really as an opportunity to do a ton of interviews and kind of introduce our audience to a ton of different female athletes. So I think we've made lemonade out of lemons or whatever that expression <laughs> is, you know, but we're just kind of using this as a chance to like go deep with a lot of the female athletes in this space. So, um, you know, I'd like sports to come back. Um, NWSL challenge cup is happening right now. And that's been like really, really awesome. Go Kelly. Um, but yeah, I think for us, it's just been like focusing more on the athletes rather than the sport.
1: So it's giving people kind of a chance. I mean, if you're not somebody who has been following women's sports, because like you said, Kelly, it wasn't really out there and available for people like all in one place. So if you're somebody who's kind of behind, I guess you could use this time to study up for when things, (laughs) things come back. (laughs) Kelly, how has the kind of COVID times impacted you and playing sports for you?
5: Um, I mean, it's impacted me and everyone else a lot. Um, You know, when it first hit, when everything kind of escalated very quickly, uh, I think it was like the second week of March, we were coming off of a national team tournament, the She Believes Cup. And then we were going right into our NWSL markets um, with our different teams. And then everything shut down. So my initial reaction was like, oh, we'll be back Thinking it'll be you know a month, maybe two. Still thinking Olympics is going to be happening, and then after about a week and a half, two weeks of I personally was still training pretty hard, trying to stay in the peak fitness that I was building towards. After that, I was like, "All right, this is getting wild, and um, we're not going to be back on the field anytime soon." So, kind of took my foot off the gas um, and just took it day by day, like. Try to say I was I stayed active, um, you know, tried to be as creative as possible in my training, which I think a lot of athletes obviously had to do. Um, and then Olympics gets postponed, and um, things really, nothing's happening. No one knows when things are gonna get back on on track. Um, and you know you go through April and then into May, and that's when we started to have conversations about doing this NWSL Challenge Cup, which we're in now. Um and my first reaction to it was like, this is crazy. There's no way you're gonna be able to operate something like this safely. Um, and get everybody on board. Um, but I commend the NWSL and you know what they've put together because granted, one team had to drop out because of um positive tests before they came into the bubble. Everyone here has stayed negative and um you know, we've been able to play soccer, which it's certainly not an essential activity, but I think that it's um allowed you know, us all to be able to continue to play, to get better, um, you know, further, hopefully further our careers and, and also just kind of bring some like lightness to the situation. Um, sports are fun to watch. It gives something people, it gives people something to do. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's been, it's, I mean, it's been a fascinating thing. I, I, I tell people, I'm like, I wake up every day and you could tell me, something. And I would believe you because I just, I look at it as a blank slate. I have no idea what's going to happen next. Um, So you just kind of have to be adaptable and ready for whatever gets thrown your way.
1: Mm-hmm. In much the same way that every single game is its own organism and you really can't control what's going to happen before it there happens. You go. Every See? day is its own, sports lessons. its own thing. Sports lessons. Hashtag sports lessons. Hashtag sports and life. <laughs> Wait, so you're, living, you're in the bubble right now.
5: Yeah, you're in the bubble. I am. I'm am in the bubble, ladies, reporting live. I'm so curious. I'm so curious. Ask away. So what, is, what is it like? Um, It's not that different than if I wasn't, if it wasn't a global pandemic happening um, outside. So I for the team in utah every all the teams Mm -hmm. came to utah so that we're all local um no traveling for the games we're hosting them all here so everybody has to no one's allowed outside of the bubble so you're either at the facility or you're in your place of residence which for some teams it's hotels for us thankfully we get to stay in our apartments um so yeah i'm just at my apartment or at the stadium training treatment recovery that sort of thing So, um, we did a little tie dye session last night. Okay. Um, We're going to do a little ice cream social tonight. So we're doing things because we can only hang out with our teammates. So, uh, trying to keep Uh things interesting. Are you hanging
3: out with the other
5: teams at all or no? No, we're not allowed to. Oh, yeah. Which I, I kind of was like, that seems a little odd because you're all in the bubble. Yeah. Once you're in it, you're all negative. And I think like NBA and maybe WNBA, I'm not sure about them, but, um, I think that they can all intermix, which I've, I wish yeah, that I've we seen could. Fishing. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, Why are you reporting on them fishing? Like what? <laughs> um, but another example of just like, yes. whatever. Um, but I, it would be nice to hang out with other teams. We see each other in passing when we're all at the facility that we're playing at. Um, so it's you know you wave you try not to give hugs that sort of thing but um, lots of mask wearing um, lots of nose swabs that's about the excitement here.
1: Oh man! Oh, wow, well, that's that sounds
5: really dystopian. <laughs> I know I mean, really like, compared does. to a year <laughs> no, ago. No, I say I say like it's another day in paradise. That's what it is. I look at it that way. <laughs> Every
3: um, Each time you so, were like, I'm sorry, each time, I know you were referring to yeah. COVID negative tests, but like each time you're like, everyone here is negative. So
6: oh,
5: like personality <laughs>
3: wise, like attitudes? Yeah. 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 The attitude here is negative at it's the It's good bubble. to be negative these <laughs> days.
1: <laughs> we're big time shitheads. Um, no, it's uh, a... <laughs> Sometimes having low expectations mean you never means you never get let down. It's true. But sometimes it just means you're a Debbie Downer. So, <laughs> got to find the happy place between wet blanket and and pragmatist. <laughs> um, Haley, I want to talk to you a little bit about male athletes and like, have there been any men who have reached out and been super supportive of just women's sports? And who are they so that we can throw some shine
4: on them? <laughs> um. Actually, one of our advisors is Ronnie Lott, if you guys know that name. He's a big-time football player. He's now an investor and does media stuff. Um, He's awesome. He's been like our biggest supporter. We haven't had other male athletes beyond that. We have male athletes that engage with our pages and follow our newsletter. We haven't had that yet, but there are a lot of male athletes that are like really supportive of women's sports. And I think that's really great. Like we need allies. Have you ever had a experience
1: where Um, maybe an investor doubts the, uh, fandom of women's sports or have you had people? Cause I mean, like, I'm sure we've all heard the lame shit that people say about women's sports as like reasons people wouldn't watch them, which we know are demonstrably untrue. But do you get men who should know better repeating some of that garbage? Yeah.
3: Haley, Um, talk some shit. um, Talk shit. Talk shit. (laughs) All right. All right. I'm
4: talking shit. Here we go. Oh no. (laughs) No, No, but you know, it is, I was actually just talking about this. Like we have like a, we have, we're venture backed. Right. But like, it's been a challenge. We, I'm a female founder, 2% of VC dollars go to female founders. It's like, that's challenge one. And then our company is like fundamentally built off a belief in women, which is like a big challenge number two. And, you know, I feel like we get it from every angle. It's like a lot of pushback um, around like how big can women's sports be? Do people really like watching women's sports? Oh, women's sports haven't historically been successful. So why would they ever be successful? Um, You know, we, we get it from every angle and, you know, um, yeah, you get a lot of bullshit too. You know, I've had VCs where like I feel like I'm in a groove and I'm like, oh, I'm feeling good in my pitch, and then the feedback is, you know, if I was younger, like I might try and date you, and I'm like, no. What? No. No. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. no, no, so no. It's like, it, like, and look, I,
5: <laughs> I mean, you're I you safe. are cute,
4: so you should. I mean, yes, we're not saying we're not shocked
5: <laughs> because of, we're, yeah, you, you get yourself. no, no. no. <laughs>
4: Thanks for clarifying <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, we
5: are
3: grossed out
4: by him
3: <laughs> yes 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 yes
4: <laughs> no and um but no like now i'm just talking shit but i think the bigger thing is like you know we got to get people to believe in women like that's what this company is and that has proved challenging and i don't think it's like such a big challenge that we're not going to overcome it like we've found our allies we found our supporters we found people that get it and believe and want to be a part of this journey but it, it is interesting, like, when push comes to shove, like, you know, who who's actually, like, for real.
3: It's so wild, too, that people forget that, like, these professional, like, these men's professional leagues didn't just pop out out of nowhere. It, like, they absolutely took investment and, like, money and marketing. And they lose and, money for and a they lose, Yes, and people yeah. do not realize that, like, these Preach. leagues weren't...
5: Yeah, I was <laughs> Seriously, I, that I was gonna say that. I'm like, if you're if you're a smart investor, this is what this is what you're going yeah. for because this is the future. This is the next frontier. Like yes. Like look at history. Don't mm-hmm. be an idiot. You're you're yeah. you're missing this is when you when you invest. Yes. And,
4: and and it's not like we've talked a lot about like the good of women's sports. And like, look, I I've said this, that, that is absolutely our mission, but like just to like strip it down, like you watch Kelly, US women's national team win a World Cup, like that is dope. Like that is good sports. That is good content. That is a good product. So like this is good shit. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to just be like for a do-gooder mission. Like sports are sports. I love sports. Like let's get more sports. Like that's the part like I'm like, that's what I'm totally with you, Kelly. It's like the next frontier of sports. Like, let's go, let's go get it. Let's make it bigger.
1: Yeah. I mean, I also feel like as a fan of sports, since I was a kid, every (laughs) Every men's sports league, every major men's sports league has had so much history full of fucked up shit, (laughs) but it's sort of like new, like women's leagues that are just getting more investment and more attention. Now they haven't had as much time to fuck up and they're also like starting from a position of, of, of being part of a moment where people are a little bit more socially conscious, I think.
3: Yeah. Like people forget like the MLS, people didn't think that the MLS would do well and like that. America wouldn't enjoy
5: soccer but it's and taken so long for it's the taken MLS. so like, long they've been yeah. around for 20 plus years now mm-hmm. so it's like you expect you're like oh you know NWSL we don't get you don't get as many fans as MLS well no kidding like you are you do you not understand how operations and yeah. fandom and like attendance works like yeah. I just it's it's shocking cool. to me
4: actually though your opening game for this challenge cup on CBS like yeah. had more people watch than it was like the Chelsea Man United game mm-hmm. so like that is quickly changing so like at this point like i think some of that thinking is just wrong
5: mm-hmm. no i agree mm-hmm. but then you have to then mm-hmm. have the people like you said the vcs that put the dollars behind it because in in NWSL, it's like well you have to have the owners who are willing to lose a little bit of money in the beginning to put in an Mm -hmm. investment so that they see an ROI. You can't just like put in pennies and then expect to get millions of dollars. It just doesn't, that's that no, no operation has ever been successful that way. And you see it with MLS 3.0. It's like these, these teams now, these owners come in, buy in for like an absurd amount of money and they throw so many dollars behind it, but then they get the return in terms of the attendance. And over time, that's going to you're going to get a return on your investment.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And and also, um, you know, I was just thinking about like women working as a team and thinking about the larger political question here, like if you take a look at the, you know, Congress, a lot of shit gets done because women are way better at working across the aisle than men. And if you take a look at Congress, we're finally getting to a time when women who were beneficiaries of, of, uh, of uh, equity in college sports are now becoming like members of Congress. Sherry Bustos, who is an Illinois Congressperson, um, she played, uh, I think basketball in college. So like you're seeing people who played like at like sports at a super high level, starting to be in government at a super high level and doing an actual good job at it because of stuff they've learned. And I think what you guys are doing is so admirable. It's so cool. Like, I really wish that something like this would have been around when I was like just a a tiny thing. Thanks, (laughs) Eric.
5: Do you guys have any final thoughts? I think my one thing that I've learned through my career, and and it's one of the reasons why I decided to sign on with Just Women Sports and host the podcast is because I've learned that when I first got into professional sports, I kind of like was young, looked around. And if something, I wanted something to be different, I would look to somebody else or like, why isn't it this way? And I just accepted things as they were. Um, and through my time, I've come to realize that if you want to see change, you have to be the person to go out and change it. Um, you can't mm-hmm. be looking to somebody else and you know checking your shoulder, like who else is going to do it? No one's going to do it. You're the person who's going to do it. So for me, joining onto this, it's like, I want there to be better coverage of female sports I want female stories and athletics to be told better and
4: mm-hmm.
5: no one else is like i'm an, I'm gonna do it even though'm mm-hmm. it's out of my comfort zone I might not be very good at it right now but like i'm i'm gonna I'm gonna go do that and it's the same with us in in terms of um, gender equity and with the lawsuit with u s soccer like we sat mm-hmm. around for so long being like we want this to change and then finally we just said all right we're gonna go we're gonna make something happen
1: which is awesome by the way I'm, I'm, I'm future generations of women will be glad that you guys were the ones to do it and they didn't have. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Haley, how do people listening right now, um, engage with just women's sports? How, how do they sign up for emails? How do they listen?
4: Yeah. Yeah. So we have a, uh, newsletter that goes out twice a week. So subscribe, um, we're on social at just women's sports. It feels weird to be plugging like this. Um, and we have our (laughs) podcast, which is also called just women's sports uh, we like to keep it very simple. So yeah, check us out, Just Women's Sports. <laughs> well, Kelly, Haley,
1: and Tien, thank you so much for joining me. This was a great conversation. I could sit around talking about yeah. this for like hours, <laughs> um, but we really appreciate you taking the time to to join us. And um, we're going to take a quick break, but there will be more hysteria when we return.
6: This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism. OCMD streaming audio on March 11th, 2024. The title of the spot is STSA leisure summer. This is a 32nd composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid back Maryland coast where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com.
1: And welcome back. Alyssa Monaco has rejoined the party through the magic of recording and editing. Here she is. And uh, Tian is still with me also. We are going to talk about things that we feel strongly about that don't actually matter. It's I Feel Petty. Tian, do you want to start us off today?
3: Oh, yeah, sure. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So the thing I feel petty about is recently we've been been doing Instacarting every now and then, and our shopper replaced um, Vlasic pickles for Mount Olive pickles. And I think that that is inherently wrong and bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Mount Olive, I don't know. Do you have any? I have very strong opinions about pickles and Vlasic is the top brand. And when I walk into anyone's home and I open the fridge and there's Mount Olive, I'm like, this house is trash. They don't know what flavors are. <laughs> but wait, Tian I have a question. Yes. In your Instacart, did you include a
0: note to the shopper that said Mount Olive is trash? <laughs> I should have now. Now I've Just learned. I should have <laughs> one to grow on. They were
3: one trying to, to be on. helpful,
0: but they weren't I, being I hear
3: very you.
1: helpful. So, Tien, when I was a kid, we like we canned our own pickles. <laughs> my mom would make pickles, and awesome. they were they were really good. My grandma too. My mom would use my grandma's recipe. They were very very good, um, but we never had store bought pickles. And I remember seeing ads for Vlasic pickles with the like pelican taking crunchy yeah. bites. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. But, and and being like I want those so bad. So as soon as I like lived on my own, I bought store bought pickles. Like for the first <laughs> time, and they were plastic and they were good. They are, are they good. better?
3: Are they? They're so. You're good. right. They're delicious. Plastic are delicious. Yeah, that's all I gotta say about pickles.
1: <laughs> I think it's fair. I think that's totally fair to be opinionated about what brand of pickle you want. Totally. Um. Okay. I have something I feel petty about. Um. I'm feeling petty about true crime podcasts and not because they're like <laughs> the most popular podcast. I'm, I'm talking about a specific tendency in certain podcasts put out by otherwise reputable networks. Like I don't, I I'm, I'm very grossed out by the sort of like desperate housewife suffocation of stories of people that got actually like murdered. Yeah. Like, uh, like, but what Carol didn't know was that at her house, a hitman was waiting. And it's like, why are you, why does this sound like a bedtime story? And I don't want to, I don't want to put this particular publication because it is, it's like a reputable publication that that put this podcast out that has like this narrator who's telling the story of murder. And it's like, I don't want to, it's a reputable publication and I'm a subscriber. But when I listened to it, I was very like, it was, I found it very jarring because it's like, somebody died. And it wasn't like a bad person. It was like (laughs) somebody who didn't do anything wrong. It's like not sort of like revenge happened to like a Nazi war criminal where I can be like, that's fine. We can tell bedtime stories about that person being murdered. (laughs) But like about a regular ass lady getting killed, I was just like, I don't like this. I don't think that, I don't think we should do this anymore.
3: I agree with you. Yeah. I agree. That's why I don't listen to those. I don't listen to true crime podcasts because it kind of freaks me out how, like, obsessed everyone is about the murder of folks who are, like, living their lives.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's a way to tell the story from a perspective where—look, look, look, I'm— Everybody needs to 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 seek relief, stress relief however they can mm-hmm. at this time it is a very difficult time. So I don't judge people if that's your like guilty pleasure. I'm just saying I am personally, I can't personally listen to it anymore cuz I was just like, ah, this isn't fun. I'm not having fun. This isn't fun. Like I'll be gone in the dark that uh the new show on HBO about um Michelle McNamara, who kind of oh. like helped uncover the Golden State killer. oh yeah, that, yeah yeah that to me is told with the appropriately mm-hmm. reverent tone for the like heinousness of the crimes and it's about the people that found out what happened and it's about solving the case and it's it's not about like the murders, you know i I just.
0: Yeah, I it's like give me give me more Dateline, less Real Housewives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Or
1: like more Frontline, less Dateline. Like I'm yeah. i even like beyond <laughs>
0: the, the Dateline.
1: Um, okay, so that's what I feel petty about this week. Okay, Alyssa, you can bring us home.
0: Oh, and I'm uh, am I ever gonna bring you home? Have you guys seen the article about squirrel jams, girl? I had. To,
3: I, <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> and you used to live right over there, right? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So you know that I have, over the past couple of years, taken up the hobby, which is not just a hobby now. I'm in full force in my kitchen, got my water tested, doing my safe serve class, okay? Cornell Master Preservation Online starts this week. I fucking take it seriously. Do you know how many people have sent me that article? Like... Is this what you do? The fuck I do not keep jam (laughs) uncovered. (laughs) Low sugar jam. But the best is, like, like the whole thing was just so upsetting because one, it's like, now, like, jam? Like, we got so many problems with things on this planet and they had to (laughs) fucking just go and like ruined jam. Also, the kind of jams they make are weird. I'm sorry. The kind of jams they make are the kind that you like put up on your shelf and you're like, do you remember the time we went to California we bought that jam that we're never going to eat? So <laughs> I just need everybody to know that I fucking, I hot bottle, I, I make sure it's all safe and there's no mold on my jars Ooh. or anything like that. And uh, I just was really... Troubled and upset by that story, and I was like, "Please do not ruin what is my new endeavor,
4: assholes."
0: <laughs> uh, Tien, I bet you have opinions on squirrel, just like because in the
1: Los Angeles like community, it has like a a rep. What's and, the rep? Yeah. Um, it's you can you can go, Tian.
3: I mean, it's like. I feel like it has such a rep of like being the place to go get brunch and lines are like around the corner if you don't show up at the right time. It is. And you know what? I do like some of their things. Here's here's what I will say. I lived a block away from there and on a sad rainy day, I had it delivered to my apartment. So that is (laughs) like truly a block. I had to walk down the street to get it and I just Chose to get it delivered to me, so that that's my feelings on squirrel.
0: (laughs) That's good. Of all the scandals, um, all the scandals, I didn't need a jam scandal this week. Okay, stone fruits are coming into season, and I don't need this on my mind right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I grilled some peaches yesterday, and stone fruits are indeed coming into season. I will add that part of the reason that the squirrel thing blew up so much is because there was a lot of backlog of of like. Yeah, bad will. Like, oh, really? Because she, mm-hmm. yeah, she was like, uh, it. The it came out that a lot of employees felt mistreated, um, and that like things were unsafe, and that people and weren't that, paid she, or given credit. And, yeah, and that yeah. they like
0: she's, she's coming out with a cookbook, and people felt that she took their recipes that they created and put them in the cookbook without giving them. Like credit, oh. and her response was, "I shout them out on social media," and I was like, "Oh, girl, backpedal that all the way home." Like, <laughs> was, that, was that all on Twitter? No, it's, it was in the Washington
3: Post article. Oh my I God, read. I, didn't yeah. know okay, I did not. Yeah, okay, really, did not know it, about that.
0: It it
1: made its way from like Insta stories to like. Washington Post in record oh, time. Ooh. Like if somebody is who's listening is a media professor, that's like a real masterclass in the yeah. way that like media happens now. It's like it starts on like somebody's Instagram story and then it, somebody tells a reporter, the reporter follows uh, up,
0: it becomes a giant thing. Yeah. And then it makes I feel petty on hysteria. <laughs>
3: full circle that's the oh. circle of life okay. i did not know about those stories i'll never order from them again glad to <laughs> glad to bring you the news yeah oh, real news <laughs> it was sort of like the
1: allison roman of los angeles restaurants oh, in know in a way like a kind of colonizing force but hopefully lessons will be learned and people will come out on the other side of this better and making good jam also you know there's a Oh, opening in the jam market, Alyssa. I think that you yeah. can look at it
3: positively. Also, now I'm just going to send you every jam article that I see. <laughs> Please do.
1: <laughs> Google alert for jam. <laughs> okay, that is all the time we have for the show today. Thank you to Alyssa and Tien for stopping by. Thank you to Haley Rosen, Kelly O'Hara, and Representative Pramila Jayapal. And thanks to you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria next week. is a production of crooked media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Brian Semmel and Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week.
6: full throttle is half the fun where you can sink a putt, raise a glass and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City Maryland, somewhere to smile about book your trip at oceocean.com.